Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host Jim Nettles and this week I have roped in a buddy of mine who I've been trying to drag out, you know, drag onto the screen and onto the air for a while. So David, appreciate you joining me to finally come in and, and have a fun conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. You want to give everybody kind of your bio, your rundown, because, you know, the short version, because. All right. <laughs> I'm 22nd, 19. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So David Eckert, uh, I've had a meandering path, uh, I guess, PhD, biomedical mathematics. I've done cancer research, algorithm engineering. Um, but my passion has always been in the creative realm, writing. So uh guess what i was in sixth grade we had a an assignment to read where the red fern grows and then write a one-page report of what we thought would happen next and 11 pages later i knew i'd be writing forever so i have a few novels out and uh and yeah that's uh we met up at jordan con and i think i'll keep going back as as often as they'll take me yeah, and we've done some fun panels over the years, so it's it's always fun to jump on and spend half the time talking about the science of tech, and then actually spend the other talk, time talking about writing and books and and spinning up fantastical worlds. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, in in your day life, you know, you do a lot of writing. It's it's science writing and all of that. How so? Having gone through, gotten your PhD, how did you actually wind up? moving from actually doing a lot of work in the scientific fields to to being a science writer yeah so that's uh you know the pandemic uh, happened <laughs> really or otherwise i probably would still be in i don't know a classroom somewhere teaching and doing research uh but um so yeah um i did the cancer research and the postdoc and then took a planned break to uh and then the pandemic hit and then no one was hiring <laughs> so i uh, just had a friend introduce me to medical communications and technical writing and uh i guess i've going on my second year doing that now so but uh journalism actually started in in college um just uh wrote an article for some local magazines and then i was like oh this is cool and so uh, a little bit different than podcasting talk to people and then you know we get to sort of sort through all the the sound bites and try and find some good quotes and i get to turn it our meandering conversations into a story so a little bit different but uh i don't know that i answered your question but uh <laughs> well I, I think this is one of those things everybody has the the idea that oh I'm going to go to school or maybe I've just graduated and I've got a shiny piece of paper and I, I walk out the door and I'm, I'm now magically X. Right. And yeah, I mean, I did change my first name to doctor for a long time. Anyone, anytime someone said, Mr. I was like, excuse me, I worked hard to be doctor, but uh, th that quickly goes away. And now I'm like, no, 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 it's just David. <laughs> it's just David. now. <laughs> 
But yeah, so got the piece of paper and was super excited. Uh, and I actually, I worked in algorithm engineering at, for about a year doing some software development uh, before returning to, to a postdoc. And it was just, I mean, you know, some developers, uh, 100-hour work weeks are challenging when you have kids. So um, lasted about a year for me. And then uh, it's completely unrelated to to anything I'd studied. I was in, um, uh, well, imaging technologies, but uh, related to wheel alignment systems for vehicles. So not the not the most uh, amazing material to study, but still data. Not life-changing. Right. So how'd you jump from that to then get into cancer research and and... So my, are a little more life-changing. Yeah, so my interest was cancer, and my PhD was looking at mathematical modeling of uh, ovarian tumor models, and I looked at uh, uh, really very heavily mathematical content, but related to cancer. And so, um, so I already had a, a bit of a background there, and uh, so I... I talked to a principal investigator out of University of Texas and just uh, he had need of a mathematician because it was a biomedical engineering program, a bioengineering program. And so it just sort of sort of worked out that I was able to transition from, you know, industry and software development to uh, and I wrote some algorithms for them as well um, at uh, UT. So to, it was taking a pipeline of algorithms um, and putting it into really when I got there, they had code that they used, uh, but uh, and some algorithms. But I, I made one cohesive uh, take take sagittal breast scans and run it through our pipeline and output some parameters that were useful for predicting uh, patient response to treatment. Um, but yeah, it was just relationships. And I had a colleague that I'd done my PhD with say, oh, hey, we need a mathematician. And then just, you know, meeting the right people and at the right time is sort of how we all get anywhere, I think. That's one of those things I, I think that everybody just sort of kind of kind of gets misses unless you you do a lot of stuff, right? At the end of the day, it's about who do you run into? Who do you know? Who's doing cool stuff? Yeah. Doing yeah. interesting things at, at the right time. Yeah. When none of us gets through this uh, alone. Like you look at the most successful person, like they didn't get there by themselves. You know, every one of us needs a little help along the way. And that's one thing I love about Jordan Con and meeting people and authors is uh, we all want every, everyone wants everyone else to succeed and do well. You know, and it's uh, that con in particular, it's like we've met each other and someone comes along and they're like, you know, I want steampunk. And I'm like, oh, well, I know two people right there. Go, go, doc, go to those tables. And it's not like, I mean, we all want to sell books, but it's not like cutthroat and competitive. So, you know, that that's one of the things I love about the community is you get to know everybody. And if somebody wants something, send, send them to the person with, that has the stuff that they want. Right. Yeah. And as we get to know each other and, and who's writing style and who's, you know, who's who and who's friendly and who approaches things. I mean, it, that's part of the fun of doing it. I mean, that's 
because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of investment to do a lot of cons, right? Right. Yeah, I still, I, I talked to you guys and I had all the cons lined up that I need to go to. And here it is, June. <laughs> I still haven't done anything else. So um, hopefully I can change that uh, this year and next year, the end of this year and next year. Yeah, I mean, my schedule when I get back from, from grandfather mountain this week, you know, the next week is congregate. We're doing some workshops. Then a couple weeks later, I'm in Raleigh for four days for, for galaxy con. Then it is dragon con. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that is a, that is a haul. Um, if you, cause you've not been to dragon con, have you? Yeah. No, I've had mixed reviews of, uh, you know, of whether or not to go. So, it's a it's a great convention for networking and it is one that i mean it's it's an expensive one you know and it's it's an investment but it's one that you you can meet meet greet and and really both meet people on the writing and the industry side as well as a lot of fans um looks like i'm gonna be doing a few workshops this year i'm already starting to get my panel list this year i think right now i'm already at something like 11 or 12 panels, three workshops and some mentor sessions. So my calendar is getting a little full, but it's, yeah. it's always, I, it's always a great one to do. Okay. Yeah. I'll, uh, when, when does that open up? I need to put, I need to mark my calendar. Um, it usually opens up in about January. Okay, cool. I have, I have a minute then. Yeah. For next year. Right. Right. So yeah. let's actually shift back into what I think we were talking about. So, you know, you you wind up getting out of the developer and research space to then go to writing. Um, what's it like to to shift back and forth? Because I, I do a lot of the same thing, but you're doing scientific journalism, very detailed, very specific, lots of footnotes, a lot of research, a lot of plowing through things. And then you go write about magic. Yeah. <laughs> So compartmentalization is very important. And I, I know I think we've probably chatted about this, but uh, so I, I'm sort of non-traditional in most of the things that I've done. Um, so like college and uh, family. So I went to, I got into grad school. I had a three-year-old and a two-month-old when I came to Florida State. And then, um, yeah, my uh six or and then my daughter came after the, my first year right so um you learn very very quickly to survive grad school how to compartmentalize different aspects of who you are and what your life is and you're you know you're like okay i have one hour for this so you spend one hour on this to then switch gears and learning how to compartmentalize different aspects of your discipline, as well as your personal life, uh, is sort of training for this. So, like, I, even in grad school, I, I've worked on my novels. You know, I might, I, uh, I guess, uh, my first book, Taming the Elements, came out in 2014 while I was in grad school. And I, you know, I always dedicated... A, you know, an hour a, a day to, to that. And I usually, and I, I keep that discipline now in my morning when I wake up, it's uh, six to six thirty. you know, depending on the day before <laughs> the night before 
I get up and I I'll spend two to three hours on my, my, my fiction worlds. And it's the best way to start the day because I get to start the day in my own universe, in my own brain space. And, uh, just as an introvert, you know, like my, no one else is awake yet. It's just me. Um, everything's quiet and peaceful. And, uh, I just get to escape to my own, my own space, the, my own quiet little corner of existence. And, uh, and I get to be around the characters that I've created and just see where the story takes me. It's, it's awesome. Incredible. But then I've got my alarm set because, you know, as you know, as a creative, sometimes, you know, it's very easy to just, oh my God, it's been five hours. <laughs> it's been five hours and I've cranked out all of this stuff and people right. want me to go back to real life. Yeah, I know. So I have to set those boundaries and set uh, alarms. I've got a lot of alarms to do this or that or uh, whatever. So nine o'clock, at least, you know, uh, I, I start, or it, I guess what, it's uh, five minutes early. Give me enough time to bio before and grab more copy before logging on for the day job. Uh, and then I do that. Uh, and then I log off at five. Five to five thirty, you know, depending on the workday, and then I start. I, I I'm the cook at my house, so I start dinner, and uh, you know, work out, and then hang out with my kids, play games, watch TV, do it all over again. It's just compartmentalization. Um, and then when I, it's you know, scheduled breaks to unplug because we all need to force ourselves to to not be on and uh take those like we're this weekend we're gonna head to the zoo and then go to saint augustine and yeah so just it's all about trying to set set boundaries and sticking to them and have the having the discipline to stick to the boundaries you create for yourself yeah so, i mean I... <laughs> <your question. laughs> no i mean because i mean for me it's uh, i I'm kind of the same way. I've got to compartmentalize because there's things I've got to do, things I've got to produce. And um, I, you know, I tend to be overcommitted, which is a fun thing to actually admit to. I know. <laughs> shocking, shocking. Um, which I'm getting better about again, I say, um, in protest. But uh, yeah, I mean, unplugging, me disconnecting is is a hard thing, especially from the fiction, Right. You know, I just got back from a couple of weeks in Europe and, and going around. And the two days we had that were kind of slow, I grabbed laptop because there was so much just flowing through that I was like, I've got to get some of that sensation to paper, that that look, the feel, the old world that, you know, even though I'd been there before, it was it had been a while. And I hadn't done it from the perspective of being able to tour around touristing. You know, it was always for work. It was always for these sorts of things. So getting that opportunity to get and and breathe that in again and remind myself how different that world is even than than where we're at over here it's like i got stuff I, i've got to get a page i've got stuff i've got to get out and notes and things like this and it was one of those things that was um while some of the family was looking at me why are you working it was that cathartic movement of if i don't get it out now it's it's it'll be lost and oh. Definitely. I have those moments too, where I have to, I'm like, 
It's an idea. I don't care where I am. I'm going to find a pen. I'm going to get a, a phone. I'm going to, I've got to get this uh, idea down. I absolutely have those sparks of inspiration where I don't, I don't care what I'm doing. I'll stop and put it on a piece of paper, at least enough to where I can remember most of the time what I, what the idea was. But yeah, I find like, man, for me, Europe is the place where stories grow. I just, uh, I love, I love going over there. And, you know, one of the things that I always love about being there is that writers, especially, but artists, creatives are celebrated in a very different way, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, walking up in the, in the Scott Memorial there, 200 feet up, because somebody thought that a writer was important enough to build a monument. Right. Yeah. Most of the time it's the writer gets to sit on a bench and look pontificating yeah. or the writer. Cause I mean, mine, if anybody ever builds a memorial is probably going to be me standing there leaning against the corner, holding a beer. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's um, great. And I'll take that. I'll, I'll absolutely take that statue. Um, hopefully it's a slightly more fit version. of me, but... oh, I see your statue. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for you, the the creative outlet, because I mean, grad school is a grueling time, no matter what, even without kids, without anything else. Grad school is is grueling, especially in the sciences. So that need to create, that need to write, that need to express, what, what does that do for you? What happens if you don't do it? Oh, man, that's uh, <laughs> I, need, I feel like I need a beer to have this conversation. No. Um, yeah, I it it definitely puts a toll on my mental health and it's the same thing with with for me exercise as well those two things being creative and having a creative outlet especially like i deal with rare diseases and death and uh uh you know it's not the happiest of places to spend all day so i i need my outlet um and and to form words uh and tell a story you know, I, I do, there is some storytelling components to my day job, but, uh, I, it's not the same. And, you know, as, as you know, like I love writing. Sure. I've made a, a bit of money selling my books and that sort of thing. But for me, it's that escape, uh, and just, uh, being in a world that I love and being, you know, in the minds of, of characters and seeing how they interact and, I don't know. There's something about that that uh, you can't really. You like I love reading. I I take breaks. I read. I I always have a book nearby. This is the one I'm reading currently. Um, but uh, it's not the same as being an active participant in the creation of the story. You know, and for me, I I need that uh, to be happy, healthy, and if I don't. You know, it's I, I feel the the strain on my mental health that my day job is harder. Uh, you know, peopling is harder. That should be a verb. I know it's not, but um, yeah, uh, it's it makes every other aspect of my life very dull and incomplete. My relationships, my just everything. Yeah, and that's one of those things I've, I've talked about, and I've, I've I've actually taught in workshops and things before. Um, and even, you know, building out some of my teams, I, I encourage find those outlets because being creative personally, I've always found makes people much more creative professionally. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. If, if you can learn to tell the story, if you can look and create worlds in your head, or even from a journalism standpoint, if you're writing the story about something that's happened, the ability to look for the details, look for those those little things and, and tell the narrative, especially if you're going out and building a world, means that you also look at everything else around you differently. And I think this is part of the reason that from a creative standpoint, if we don't get that outlet, it actually, it's, it's not only the, I didn't get the outlet, how counter, how much that can actually damage everything else that we do, because we don't get that. We don't get to create that feedback that lets us live in that world to stimulate the, the rest of the thoughts that we have about the rest of the world around us. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got to ask this because you're a mathematician, you're a scientist, you're organized, you're detailed, disciplined. You know, we were talking a little bit before we got started and we've talked off and on over the years about the magic system you've built, right? You've spent a lot of time in world building. You spent a lot of time of creating and engineering a real system. Yes. How much of that is the mathematical part of you needs that and to understand and detail that system to tell the story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably the same thing that drives me to like Brandon Sanderson, who has well-organized magic systems or uh, just, you know, the when there are rules and structure that are clearly defined within a story and it it's uh it's really fascinating to me to tweak to tweak physics and say well what will happen if you know you change this one element or this one aspect of reality and uh what what does that mean in terms of uh the economy what is how does that change your um uh, the way people think, the way people interact with one another, if it's well, you know, is it accepted? And so one thing that a lot of uh, authors do is uh, in fantasy, and I, I love this as well, and I've read lots of books uh, that alienate it and they're and fear it. But uh, what if instead, you know, you have, you know, you have plenty of stories where it's accepted and revered. And but what if it's just a uh, something that happens every day. How does that change the economy? How does it change like jobs that exist? And then all of a sudden, if it vanishes, which is something I explore in my book series, uh, because of, uh, well, I won't spoil it. <laughs> but uh, then what, how does that uh, chain reaction occur? So those sorts of things are fascinating to me. Um, and it definitely comes from, you know, my training as a scientist uh, definitely comes into play on understanding causality and the threads that, you know, the butterfly effect that occurs when you have different changes and aspects uh, of world building. And for like my my current series that's published, it's, uh, I spent five years in the world building it before I ever had the story, you know? So, um, and it working out mechanics and trying to, um, and you'll see that in my game eventually when I get to show you my my card game. Um, I think uh, some of the mechanics that you're like, well, this isn't in your book. It's like, but it's in my world. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, that's uh, sort of a meandering way of saying my my books are definitely influenced by my mathematical background without ever making anyone do calculus. 
I would never do that. <laughs> Wait, you're not going to use you're not going to use calculus formulas in there to explain how the magic works? Uh, you know, I don't do that. Um, but uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk about some fixed law and some diffusion equations, I'm all for it. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things I was talking with my niece about when we were on the trip and whatnot was about math as a language. Mm -hmm. And because this is one of those things, when I finally learned this, shifted the entire way I approached math and calculations and everything else was this shift from math being something totally separate to being a language, a way of communicating, looking and understanding. Does that make sense to you? And, and I mean, how does that fit into your, your writing, your world building? Yeah. So, I mean, if, uh, you break down an, a, an equation or if you want to build an equation or a system and you you get uh it is it is a language of how the universe works right it's the mechanics behind our world that exist um and the more accurate we get to reality the the less we're capable of solving the the system but it's it's there's definitely a language involved with causality um and so uh yeah, I mean, it still goes back to just, uh, for me, everything goes back to causality and a relationship between the things around us, uh, whether it's um, uh, something sitting in place and not moving, you know, there's an equation for that. Uh, if you want to look at two mixtures, uh, you have coffee and creamer, those two things mixing, you can, you can look at uh, uh, diffusion and the, the what's happening locally as uh, you know, uh, or uh, I guess a volume fraction, H however you wanna, there's multiple ways to look at uh, aspects of, uh, of a system like that. Um, and you can do the same thing with your, with your magic systems, with your, with your worlds, uh, you know, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> well, I, I always find it fascinating because I, I've, I've done both. I've done things that were very rigid systems where you had very hard rules and I've done things where it was like, yeah, we can play a little loose and fast. And when you play loose and fast, or at least for me, when I play loose and fast is when I tend to get myself in trouble. Right. It's that, wait, did I, did I set, did I create a limitation here and create a rule here that's going to cause me a problem there? And so that's where I kind of really, really love that idea of, creating the structure, but also knowing that structure well enough that one of the best things you can do in a story is upset that apple cart by changing how those rules work. Because not only does it upset you as a writer, it upsets that world. It changes, it changes economics, it changes politics, it changes religion, it changes everything. You know, how, what happens when you have a fundamental shift through a society? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, the cool thing was since I built my magic system out in advance, knowing that I was going to tweak uh, or basically added it uh, to the magic system midway, I planted Easter eggs early. So even in the first book, even though it's not upset, I had those, you know, I knew what, how the world existed. So I plant those early on so that when it happens, it's like, oh, okay, this is that, you know, sort of thing. So it's not, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's surprising, but it's not, it's obviously not just, uh, 
spontaneously created when I, uh, I don't know. I like, I like to read books that have a plan and that it feels like, even though, you know, even though we all rewrite better, I think, uh, though, you know, I, I think we both have met people that their first draft is almost their final draft. Um, and they don't plan or outline. I just, I don't see that is not something I think I could do. So, you know, and I've, so I've done that before. I've, I've done the whole, I'm just going to pants it. I'm going to go crank something out. But usually when I'm doing that is I'm trying to feel out the world I want to write. I'm trying to feel it out. Who are the characters? What's the world? What's happening? What's going on? And I can explain with it and experiment with it. But it's never, I mean, I won't say never. Rarely is it a coherent story unless it's some little short story, right? I've got to have some degree of a plan and some degree of a plot and outline. Even if I wind up changing that path, which in one of my series, when I did that, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to fix what I broke because I had a fun idea. And I forgot that that was going to impact stuff downstream. Um, but yeah, if it, I've I've long found that if I spend the time, do the outline, do the plan, and really know who they are, again, I can go do the free writing experimental stuff to figure out who they are, and then be happy to put that aside. Pieces of that may make it in the final work, but the act of writing to, to figure out who people are is one of those things that works for me sometimes yeah. uh, or, or to go and say, will this story work? I'll do something. that's just like, let me see if I can create something coherent with characters. I want to spend enough time with to do the outline. Um, that's one of those sick and twisted ways. My own mind works. Um, it's uh, I, I have tried so I did an experiment during the beginning of the pandemic each week. I, I wrote a, a story called ether mage and it still exists though. You can't find it online right now. Um, that I did it on my website where each week I, I had, I did have an outline and a plan. Um, but I wrote it in such a way that, uh, um, each, uh, there were certain points, pivot points that I put in place where I would let the audience uh, vote on what they thought should happen next, but I would give them options. And I, and I wrote it in the questions in such a way uh, that there was a higher probability of the, my plan being chosen. And every time, because you could see in live where they voted, it would be what I already in, had planned on my outline. So even though I wrote it in such a way that, uh, um, you know, uh, I had audience participation, I sort of, sort of masked that a little bit <laughs> and made it. <laughs> so it still turned out to be my plan uh, with no surprises. Uh, but I was prepared to pivot and rewrite my outline. But I had like when I make a change in my story and I'm like, this isn't working to my outline. I need to change my outline. I'll do the, I'll stop in the story, go back to my outline and rewrite my outline. And then so that I have a path to follow, it's just how my twisted brain works. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the fun part of it is figuring out what system will work for you. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I talk to a lot of new writers and it's the, well, well, how do I do this? You find what works for you. You know, every, we all have our own path. There, there are 
there are aspects to which we spend the time on a given path and, and, you know, working out the things that work for us because short form stuff, my system for short form doesn't work for novellas. My system for novellas doesn't work for long form. The system for long form then feeds into how I do series. And none of all of that works when I'm doing nonfiction or articles. Right. So it's, it's kind of the. Yeah. The medium. What's, what's the tool that will work for what I'm doing in developing. And, outline for all of them, even my journalism. Uh, I have the conversation with someone and then I say, okay, how can we jam this into a story? And then I have little outlines because in the back of my mind, I still have the sound bites that I liked. Um, and then I, I fill those in, those details in. I go search for the story that I outlined. So, yeah, maybe I have a problem. <laughs> That's the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem or telling the rest of the world that doesn't follow your way they have the problem. So <laughs> it's, it's finding what works for you. Yeah, you know, kind of looking at, at all of the stuff you've gone through on the meandering path so far. What's what's the one thing you, if you knew you're going to wind up where you're at now with with the fiction career? What's the one thing you wish you could go back to 2010 and tell yourself? If I could only choose one. Well, you can go with more, but yeah, in 2010, I didn't have kids. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love my kids. I'm glad they exist. Um in 2010, if I could go back to 2010 and say just one thing uh, from my current perspective, that's that's a fun story to write. Um, don't let anyone else tell you that uh, you can't make money as a creative. I think that's the one thing I had in my mind, which is what pushed me into... Uh, really pursuing mathematics. I'm good at mathematics. I've solved a math problem that no one else could solve, which is how I got my PhD, right? But at the same time, I'm a writer now. And like in my hobby, I'm writing in my day job, I'm writing, and I wouldn't change that. And uh, so like, if I could go back in time, I would say follow that passion, even if it doesn't make sense right now. You know, and I know that's sort of cliche, but really, if, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I would still, I would still push everything into that, especially like, you know, I had a lot of momentum when I was uh, after my first book, um, but I was still splitting a lot of my attention between writing my novels uh, and pursuing research and cancer and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and I, I guess I, and, yeah, exactly. So, so I would say, you know, uh, put, I would go back and say, put everything into this. It, it'll pay out really that if I had to choose one, that's what it would be. And what's the, what's the biggest kind of lesson you've learned out of all this, this meandering journey so far? biggest lesson I've learned out of the meandering journey is uh, it doesn't have to be perfect on the first go. Like we, you're going to make mistakes. And sometimes it's the mistakes in the story that end up being the best parts that you didn't expect. So, uh, you know, if you're the type of personality, as some of us are that have to have a plan, just 
be willing to accept that that plan will fail, but it's okay. You can, you can still make a new plan. And even if that one's probably going to fail, just, uh, just iterate until you find the path that, that works. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. So the last thing I'm going to throw at you is this. What's one thing we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about? One thing I haven't talked about. Um, I'm dragging the introvert onto video and audio and pulling them. Out. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I, if uh, if I didn't want to talk about one thing, it's really the the social component that's necessary to as an introvert to try and get your books out there. It's uh, you know, um, networking is is really where I where I, I struggle. You know, I I don't know about for you. At the end of Jordan Con, I'm like, oh man, I need I need like a dark hole to crawl into for a couple of days, uh, right? Just to be like by myself, um, like so you can see the introverts running out of Jordan Con because it's almost like they're like, I need my my army blanket. I gotta. It's like, I need to go uh, unwind from this. But, and then the extroverts, they're just the opposite. They linger and they're, um, yeah, it's really, if I, one challenge for me is that just trying to find, uh, uh, I guess, a, a way to uh, connect with people, which is what conferences are about. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, just get better at networking. And I think you're a master at that since two years it took you two years but here i am <laughs> <laughs> well it, yeah it's it's kind of interesting because i'm 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 an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert or deranged I, i'm not sure which um you know it it's that thing of there's always a little bit of that thing about going to a convention is like okay i gotta get motivated for this i gotta get ready for it and because i do a lot of them Right. I mean, my, my July, I, since, since January, I've had three weekends at home. Um, now not all of that was cons. <laughs> okay. There, there was a little time in Europe for that. Right, um, right. there were, there were some business trips. There was a bunch of other stuff in there. Um, but yeah, fundamentally I've had three, three free weekends since January. And when I say free, that was weekends I was catching up and trying to get, you know, prep done for, for this run that's coming up. And, you know, basically my next free weekend is August. And I get a couple of weeks there in August where it's preparing a bunch of material for workshops that are coming up, um, some speaking engagements and, and a bunch of the other work that's going on. That's going to be my, okay, we've, we've consolidated all of this stuff. That's going to be my, my period of time for, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I, I just had somebody reach out and say, hey, can you come do this thing August? And I went, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's my one weekend. <laughs> like, no, I've got, I've, pretty much for August, I've said I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. I'm going to go hide my fortress of solitude on my mountain. I might even let my spouse up there maybe part of the time. As I was uh, ask, so what is your fortress of solitude? Where is that for you? Um, it's up in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, it's it's Christmas tree tree country. 
It's a little cabin out in the middle of absolute nowhere, surrounded by Christmas tree farms, and I have a fiber optic connection. Oh, man. Can I go there when you're not using it? <laughs> um, for, for a nominal fee, um, right now the wife just called me because we, not that I'm going off the rails at all, but um, our, our alarm, our video alarm and stuff has been going off for the last few weeks. Well, it turns out that a bird built a nest right on top of one of the cameras, <laughs> and the babies are popping out of it. Uh, so she's like, well, I guess I'm leaving that alone for a while. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, yeah. And eventually we actually want to move up there um, and get out of Charlotte, but um, build the office, build, basically we're going to build an office and a shop up there so that we can move everything else up there. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there's nothing like that idea of I get to go spend a few weeks in quiet yeah i'm working yeah i'm doing meetings yeah i'm doing all my usual routine and then i can walk out and sit on the porch and you know the deer are going strolling by the raccoons are guzzling down the hummingbird water the cardinals are staring at me going hey where where's the bird seed you know chipmunks are running along you know it it it's it, it is and when friends of ours have come up for they're like it is so quiet here oh man i'd I'd kill for that. So yeah, it, it, we we were very fortunate when we kind of when we when we found this place. Um. So yeah, it's it's one of those things that from that yes, I can run hard and wide open and love every minute of that until I'm done, and then it's like okay, great, I'm done. I need to go. You can flip that switch yeah. because being around people can be that energizing extroverted part of it. And I can run wide, wide open and hot, but there hits that point of, okay, the batteries are not going to take any more of this. It is time to go away and not people and not do anything. But of course, with what I do for a living, there's never just a, I'm not people. Um, but I can do it from the top of my fortress of solitude just like we're doing and, and, you know, have a conversation, but I don't have to sit in the office. It's not like the good old days when I traveled 48 weeks a year. Um, yeah. I, I, I could not go back to that again. That um, doesn't sound enjoyable. Um, there were, there were times where it was a lot of fun, you know, yeah. but uh, no, I'm very happy now to be able to sit down, play with fiction, play with nonfiction, do all the other stuff that I do and, and keep doing that sort of stuff. So, but I interrupted you. So what is the thing we didn't talk about? Oh yeah. Being, being the extrovert. Being the extrovert. Yeah, no. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, again, it's, I guess I can do that and like, I think your maximum is way higher than my maximum, but, uh, I like people and I like meeting people and I can be extroverted, you know, in short spells, but man, when I hit my, my wall, I'm like, okay, I need to just go <laughs> somewhere like and be alone. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't I don't really have a a whole lot I don't want to talk about except for maybe uh you know, um uh I don't want to get going on AI right now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be nice and and not throw that on the on the pile. We <laughs> talked about that a little bit before we got started. So, uh, but, but I think we can both agree it's going to make stuff interesting here for a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a person who writes algorithms and understands a little bit about it, man, it's pretty cool and interesting stuff. But yeah, that's uh, 
but to- topically that's a can of worms so that that's one where you just just to say the words ai means you've pulled the pin on the hand grenade and set the hand grenade on the table and yeah <laughs> yeah i i know because i'm i'm really kind of on both sides of the topic and both sides of the problem and sitting square in the middle and so everybody hates me it's fine um no i mean i think you that's a good place to be right now it's uh I think there are people that understand this is a tool and if we use it in a responsible way, it'll be an incredible tool. And then there are the other people that are like, no, this is Skynet. Um, and I think the people that are more towards the middle um, have a better picture of uh, of what's going on. Uh, but uh, yeah, I know you, you consult and I know I've met someone else recently who is uh, in the realm of... Uh, understanding the legislation and some of the movement there. And I think once certain things get settled and we have some guardrails in place, people will be a bit more comfortable with it. Uh, Being an advocate for ethical AI, and and of course that's a really kind of interesting line to draw right now. Um, You know, that genie is out of the bottle. You know, there, there's, there's no shoving that that one back in and having having worked with it and around it for most of my career in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I, I think that with it rolling out with changes that I think everybody was a little more surprised to see where we were really at. Um, much like I've told a lot of people, I'm like, mm-hmm. your use of social media, the way you've done these things is led us to here. This was an, an, an inevitability, right? In a lot of ways, it's been hardware that hardware and capability and bandwidth that's kept us from being where we're at now more so than anything else. Um, and I think this is going to be one of those things that a lot of people are going to have to adapt to. But much like the conversation I was having the other night, everybody's afraid that this is going to destroy all of the the creators' jobs. You know, the writer strike is going on. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. Who is, who is in the guild and is is impacted by the writer strike and and all the fear that's there, and realistically, I think when all of it shakes out, there's going to be way more jobs for creatives that offers a, a way bigger bigger world, and the need for people that understand story and write and create and create art, I think there's going to be way more opportunity for them. Um, then what gets lost in this, but it's, it's like anything else. Um, there's, there's going to be some change and I think there's going to be opportunity there for everybody. The people that are traditional and classic, you know, when Tom Fleming and I were talking, we were talking about art and he's like, I'm a traditional painter. I'm not a digital guy. This doesn't impact me. Right. That tangible feeling to the pieces of art. Like we've got some of Tom's art here. You know, that that tangible, that brush stroke, those things like that that are very physical and tangible. You know, we're we're in a world now where there's been a revolt against mass production for a while again. We're this is kind of that cycle where much like there was the revolt in the twenties against mass produced stuff. I think that the the recognition and the appreciation for the artisan is coming back. This is the reason why we see hand created soaps and candles. Right. Right. There, there are mass produced solutions that work 
that work as well, that produce the same function. But we appreciate those things. And the audience that loves and appreciates real creativity are the ones that ultimately are going to continue to be the audience. And the tools that are coming out that we have in hand are going to be the things that create new forms of creative output and outlets that we hadn't even thought of a year ago are going to create opportunities that, that again, we didn't think about and knew about, but yeah, it's a hand grenade on the table. And the hard part is, is honestly being the guy that works in tech is the one and looks at says to the people in tech, we still have to remember the ethics of what we're doing. Yeah. This is where the guardrails have to come in just because you can doesn't mean it's time to do that yet. Yeah. Because you can means it will happen eventually, but just because you can doesn't mean we're there yet. Yeah. And I, that's that's kind of the thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, actually, uh, you've heard my tone change since even we were sitting in the pub there at JordanCon having a beer. So, <laughs> But I think uh, I also looked a little bit, you know, what it is and what it isn't. I looked more into what it is and what it isn't. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, like, I saw what other people started prompting than producing. And I'm like, I'm still better than that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and really, even then, it's um, in terms of being a creator, if, if you have an original idea, which they still exist, and they still happen, I still read them, you know, like that's still not going to be captured by the AI. It may eventually train the AI, but they don't have it now, you know? So I think it'll give a, an opportunity for, yes, yeah, sure. Will there be some, uh, a lot of people who just pump out stories and uh, that sort of thing with, with the chat GPT, for example? Absolutely. But it'll still give an opportunity for people um, to, to create and, well, again, you know, realistically, knowing algorithms, fundamentally, these tools are predictive text. It's an yeah. overgrown version of what you're already using on your phone that, you know, comes up and gives you the next next options. It's it is a much more complex model. And, yeah, that's overly simplifying it. But it still doesn't have the creative spark. It's not going to create something truly original. But one of the things I can say for it is that it may be shifting how we can look at things. Um, you know, one of the, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other night. Um, it's a publisher and they're, you know, the things that they're putting in their contracts about, it has to be your work. It has to be human created work, not AI generated. And we were talking through nuances of what does that mean? Because now fundamentally, if you're using Microsoft Word, it is being influenced by the AIs, right? Chat GPT is there as part of now the grammar checking and spell checking and even giving some of the creative consults. If you're using Grammarly, ProWriting Aid, these are tools that are AI generated and have been, we've been using for years. Right. And we were talking about, so what does that really mean? Where's your line at in the sand? And this is where I think we as an industry have got to, got to come to an understanding but at the same time, you know, with conversations going on, there's also definitively a bigger push for Amazon and 
the, the Barnes and Noble and the other, you know, providers that are, are supporting the industry to start gauging and weighing and saying what percentage of something appears to be AI generated. And the good news is there's also a commercial incentive there to tell people this because a, from an Amazon standpoint, if it's AI generated, it's not copyrightable. So yeah. first of all, it instantly goes straight into public domain. And so how it gets listed on Amazon is going to be different. Number two, if it's just AI generated garbage, that's not edited, not rewritten. You're not looking at the hallucinations in the language. You're not looking at the repetitive nature of how it's told. They don't want to take up the disk space because nobody's going to read it and then buy it anyway. Yeah. So there, there with some of the conversations I'm ha having, there's definitively a an incentive to start monitoring, scoring, and rating these sorts of things from both a legal perspective and a commercial perspective, which I think, again, comes back to the things that will help us as creators continue to, to grow. So this is why, you know, for everybody that brings to me their fears about what the AI tools are doing, I'm like, what, why are you worried? Because if you can't do better than what the AI is, then you need to go work on your craft. Yeah. <laughs> so. But we, I mean, we all do that anyways, but yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, and again, it's uh, maybe at some point uh, there will be a, an AI system that can collectively take all of the current literature and uh, come up with predictive predictive algorithms can say, well, this is what is in popular culture. So this has a higher probability of becoming an idea. But maybe we'll like, I think I'll be retired, probably. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Things are coming fast. We'll see what happens. You think it's you think that's right around the corner? I think it's coming faster than you think, but I would, because again, the predictive marketing aspect of it, of analyzing what the markets are and what's likely to happen. We've been using those things for years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this is one of those things for the, because I'm not an advocate of right to market. I'm an advocate for tell your story, right? For the guys that go and chase the market and chase the money and chase the dollars, most of them really aren't successful. You spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to trying to ride a wave or chase a wave, and then you jump to the next thing. You never build an audience. You never build a fandom, and you're not writing the stuff you really want to write. Right. The product just is isn't there. Um, generally, I'm speaking in generalizations. Are there people that do it? Yeah. But if you want that long career and you want to be the satisfied creative as well, tell your story. But in terms of marketing and marketing data and understanding where the trends may be coming and honestly, in some cases, influencing where those trends are going. Amazon, Facebook, all the social media platforms have been doing that for years. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know, the sales and marketing piece of it, I think that we're going to be getting much better insights about where markets may be going. And maybe that does influence what some people want to work on. But again, I'm a firm believer in create your work, your art, tell your story. Yeah. Well said. I like that. So. Well, cool.
Well, it's about time to have another beer, but it'll be a while, I think. I know. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Jordan Khan will come around uh, and we'll we'll all be there, hopefully. But I'd, I'd like to do something sooner than that. But yeah, but yeah, we got to get together and play my game, too. Absolutely. So just let me know when you're ready to play. Yeah, I, this weekend I'm ready. Come over. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be on top of a different mountain this weekend. But uh, come on up. Bring the game. We'll have plenty of people to play test. Oh, that would be cool. And there'll be plenty of beer um and plenty of men and kills um <laughs> well i'd have to i'll have to get my uh my kilt down uh i don't know why you're not wearing it jordan con um would be the place i could get away with it right you're you're like i get away with it everywhere <laughs> i go with it everywhere yeah well so david where can everybody find you uh, you know what what is the series that everybody needs to be reading? Do you want to tell them a little bit more about that since we haven't talked about it much? Yeah. Uh, so I try to drive everyone to my second book. And I think you understand uh, why you want someone to read your second book over your first book. But it's a standalone in my world called By the Blade. And you can find it on Amazon. It's like Indiana Jones in an epic fantasy setting. So uh, but it's in my world. It's in uh, the same world that uh, uh, my first book is in. And again, davideckert.com, so, uh, or Amazon. The uh, Taming the Elements is the first book. If you want to read it uh, chronologically, it goes Taming the Elements, By the Blade, Mastering the Elements. And if you just put E-K-R-U-T in Amazon, you can find all of those. Or, yeah, you can find uh, Audible too. Amazon produced the audiobook, so those exist. Uh, Chris McDonald, incredible voice talent, did the all three books and um I, I need to get him the next one so he can get that one too but uh still in the works um the next book in the series is true elementalist hopefully uh i'll have that one finished and at least to an editor the soon i'm just gonna say soon every time i throw out a date it's wrong so there's there's nothing like the sound of a deadline as it goes whizzing by i know <laughs> right yeah and what about your website what are people going to get when they come visit the website so you can find my journalism there uh which is mostly local stories but uh you can also find some of my scientific works um on there but you the landing page takes you to my maps and uh, there's been multiple artists that have helped uh, generate those from my crappy hand-drawn graphite sketches to the beautiful digital thing that exists on my website and then my my books and my uh my you can find sound bites of my audio book there as well well david i appreciate you coming and hanging out with me this afternoon i'm glad you I, i'm glad i could finally drag you out of the cave <laughs> actually technically i'm still in the cave i just uh you know you're here too <laughs> yeah i'm in mine so you know this is this is how we we can introvertedly people right Right. Well, cool. We'll have to do this again, especially once the game is ready. Um, Absolutely. And until next time, this has been Creating Pros. Thanks, David. Thanks so much.